Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 302. And my guest this week is none other than Mr. Kevin Smith. Um, I was hugely excited about this one. As you'll hear in the conversation, a lot of you will have heard last week. I didn't want to say who my guest was because I hadn't recorded it yet. And these things have a habit of falling through. I've genuinely had confirmed slots with... Ray Liotta, Adam Driver, Olivia Coleman, numerous other people over the years that have fallen out weeks ahead of time, sometimes on the day. I had one that, that, that fell out literally as I was outside of the room setting up my recording equipment and it fell through. So I don't like to say in advance, but yeah, hugely excited to get some time with the living legend, Kevin Smith. And he was wonderful to talk to. Um, some of you, I know, get annoyed at times when the conversations are sh- shorter. I, I I could only get 45 minutes with Kevin, but I think you'll agree it's a worthy 45 minutes. We get a lot in in that time. And again, anyone who has any issue with that, you'll notice that the only time I kind of accept these shorter ones tends to be with American guests because there won't be a chance to get a longer time. A lot of you will know that myself and last week's guest, Neil Gaiman, have been planning a podcast for a long time. But the reason we chose not to do it in the Good Omens press run was because he's in the UK and we could get more time later down the line. Her last week's podcast was a 90-minute chat with the wonderful Neil Gaiman. Um, But yeah, I think you're going to love this regardless of the slightly shorter running time. But I mean, also, if you're a fan of directors... James Mangold, the director of Logan, Paul Fague, the director of um, of Bridesmaids and Arrested Development and Freaks and Geeks and so much other stuff. Both of them huge, amazing back catalogues. They've all been out recently um, alongside loads of other great ones. So go back and enjoy them. Um, I'll get straight into this fairly swiftly. Just um, if this is your first time tuning in, who can I recommend? I mean, if you're a Kevin Smith fan, you're probably a fan of Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. I've had both of those guys on. Simon's been on twice, in fact. If you're a comic book fan, I've had Alan Moore. I've had Garth Ennis. I've had Warren Ellis. I've had Mark Miller. I've had so many good... Neil Gaiman last week. So many good people. Um, who else? Ron Perlman. I feel there's a crossover in the fandoms there. Uh, Ron Perlman was this year, and it's a it's a hell of a chat. So, yeah. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm going to, a lot of you will know, I now do my extended chats at the end of the podcast. I'm going to do a fair extension on this one and talk about a few of the things that that we didn't have time to talk about um, and just give you my kind of views and opinions on it because Kevin was over to talk about Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And yeah, we got a lot in, but there was a lot. As you will hear, I've been a Kevin Smith fan since my early days and his early days so it was amazing to get to chat to the guy um oh actually before we we get into it i did an unusual thing this time um i set the recorder going before kevin arrived and the reason for that was as i arrived to do the junket i'd been told that kevin was quite excited about having this conversation because he'd seen my name and was curious about it so i thought that was was wonderful and i wanted to capture any potential interaction of his curiosity. And I think it was a beautiful thing. Apologies if you've already heard me explain the origin of my name, Scroobius Pippa, a million times, but 
I think it really set the tone for the genuine excitement and enthusiasm that Kevin has for for getting out and talking to people, for meeting new people and talking to them about his films, about his journey and about their journey. So I left that part in. Um, I'll stop messing around now and let you get straight into the chat. I'll be back at the end to tell you about a few of the things we didn't get to discuss and give a few of my kind of my personal views and opinions on those things. Um, and also to tell you about speechdevelopmentrecords.com where you can buy loads of merch, Christmas is coming, and patreon.com slash pip where people found out that Kevin Smith was the guest last week just after we recorded it and got an exclusive picture of the two of us. Um, so yeah, but anyway, without further rambling, this is Distraction Pieces Podcast Episode 302 with Kevin Smith. from an Edward Lear poem. It's about this creature that, that, that wakes up in the jungle and doesn't know what it is, then goes with the fish for a bit and realises it isn't a fish, it goes with the lions and realises it isn't a lion. At the end, it decides it is a Scroobius Pip. And at that point, I was doing street art, I was making films, I was doing music, right. doing all these things, and I was thinking I need to focus on what I am and then just decided, right, I'm just a Scroobius Pip. Fucking beautiful. Wait, whose poem? Edward Lear. He did like The Owl and the Pussycat and loads of old... Old Englishy type weird, and Scroobius is the name of the poem. Scroobius, yeah, yeah, the, the Scroobius Pip, the Scroobius Pip, yeah. fucking fascinating. I've got you a little a Thanksgiving. I've started rolling in in typical podcasting manner, but totally. I got you a little Thanksgiving gift because I know you're over here at Thanksgiving. We don't really do it in this country much. They, so. No, they don't. I my wife, you know, when we got here, uh, was it yesterday? Um, she was like, do they have Thanksgiving here? I was yeah. like, no, these people aren't grateful for nothing. They, yeah. they, it's all expectation here. There's it's, no thanks or giving up that. It's been tried to be brought in as a as a cash cow, a financial right. thing by big companies. Going, well, I saw, I saw they brought, brought in Black Friday. Yeah, we've got that. Yeah. We've got the real cash cows and Cyber Monday and all of that. But yeah. It's, it's you know, honestly, like um, this, I'm here this week. So this will be the first of my life, 49 years. First time I have not been in the States for wow. Thanksgiving. But that being said, like Thanksgiving is Turkey day. It's predominantly about eating and predominantly yeah. about eating Turkey. And as a vegan, I don't eat Turkey anymore. Yeah. So it was okay to be like, Oh, I'll go to England for the week. That's it. I found some vegan chocolates. So I was, I was aware I, I've kept an eye on that, but I mean, how do you, you balance that? There's, there's a big topic in the film about family and fatherhood specifically. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how have you found that in years of particularly, I mean, it's exciting because we're going to get to talk about the variation of the of the of this film world, really, and the different ways of releasing films over mm -hmm. the years. But you've always been ninety nine percent of your projects have been in stuff that you need to be putting more than a hundred percent of your effort and life into. It's not just kind of a drift on direct and drift home. They very, have to be very true. Like I, I play the game like um, I'm trying to save the universe. Yeah, um, which is the only you know. Look, there's many ways in in you get many different doors and many different windows into the mansion. But I feel like that's the best way for me. And, yeah. and the reason why, you know, these movies don't have a massive audience, but they have a hardcore audience so much so that I've been doing this shit for 25 fucking years yeah. who 
can acknowledge that, who who see that, they're like, oh, he's really trying. This means yeah. everything to him. And they go along with you because of it, because they see how sincere you are. Um, I don't make movies that people just go like, oh, I like those. Um, people are like either religiously into those movies or like, I hate those movies. I don't like yeah. that guy. Um, <laughs> it's really like 50. It's, I don't even know if it's 50, 50, but it's one or the other. There's no kind of middle ground as a filmmaker. Yeah. I have middle ground as a personality. Like, oh, there's that guy in the hat. I know him. Yeah. And that's course. kind. That's yeah, nice yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. But that's, for me, it's like, a, there's a couple different Kevin Smiths at work. There's the 21 year old Kevin Smith who got us here, who I absolutely love, but don't identify with at all anymore. Um, and really don't even recognize because that kid made an uncharacteristic decision to try to do something he had never done before. And that better people than him had tried and succeeded at. He dreamed about like, I want to try making a movie. Yeah. And I know that guy. It's been years, but like that dude was not ambitious. Like that was not in the cards for that guy. The fact that he made that incredibly uncharacteristic decision of like, I'm going to leave my hometown, which I never really left. And I'm going to go to Vancouver and learn how to make film. And I'm going to drop out after four months and go home and try making that film myself and vision quest it. And all the way, take it to the end. Cause everybody gets ideas to make movies. Even people that don't make movies like, Ooh, that'd be a cool movie. Follow through is the important thing. So that kid who had no follow through and had quit college, he quit uh, student council, he quit everything in his life, actually finished that one thing. And because he did, he changed my life. Mm. Last 25 years have been all fucking candy and gravy and shit like that. Even at its worst, things have been better than like, I don't know, 95% of the people in the world and stuff like that. Cause I get to self-express for a living. Yeah. I get to make pretend I'm an adult who does a child's job for a living and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think when I kind of got into it, that's all I ever wanted to do. That's the 21 year old Kevin Smith. This Kevin Smith learned somewhere between, you know, clerks and this moment in time and, and probably about 50, 10 to 15 years ago that he didn't have to make movies if he didn't want to. Like making movies was how he started the conversation with people. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith. I want to talk to you for the rest of my life. This is Clerks. I then realized, oh, I don't need film. I can do it in a podcast or I can do it on a stage or I can do it in a TV show or I can do it in a comic book. Like it was all about communication. It was all about letting people know I'm here. So film is a very expensive version of that. You know, it's way cheaper to write a comic book. It's way cheaper, as you know, to record a podcast than it is to make any fucking movie because this like two mics and a person shit. You don't even need the other person. Yeah. Like you can literally do it by yourself. I have. So this is time, not dimes. So the older I got, the more I was like movies. What a ridiculous art form. I love them, <laughs> but why am I trying yeah. to do this? I'm not meant to do this. I'm not like Edgar Wright born to make film. I'm not like Quentin born to make film. I was just a fan who aggregated toward making films and stuff. And I got lucky and my first film got picked up and stuff like that. So at a certain point I realized like, you don't need the movies. And the movies are kind of like a headache. Not like, believe me, I'm not the not torture to make, but once you make something, that allows somebody to be like, that fucking blows. Yeah. You never get that on a podcast. You ever yeah. get a fucking anyone ever tell you, like, your podcast sucks? No, because yeah. at the end of the day, it changes all the time and stuff like that. And because nobody had to put money down for it. The yeah. moment you presume upon a friendship with the audience and you're like, hey, can you pay me to see this movie? Guess what? They're going to have an opinion of what you do and it can be strong positively. Or negatively. So at a certain point, I was like, why do I bother making movies anymore? I don't need to. Like, I became Kevin Smith for a living a long time ago. And the movies afforded that. But now I don't have to make a movie. I I could literally sit around and talk about other people's movies and 
people will pay me to do that and stuff. So I keep making the movies to honor the 21 year old who dreamed of this shit, like literally dreamed. What if Jay and Silent Bob became like Cheech and Chong where everybody knew them and they had their own movies. And I'm talking dreams. I'm not talking about, I planned for this. I'm talking about when I laid there in bed at night and whimsied, what could happen with this? Those are sky's the limit dreams and stuff. And that shit came true, like literally came true. So at the end of the day, I do these movies. I love them, but the 21-year-old Kevin Smith, that's somewhere buried deep inside me, which sounds way dirtier than I meant to. He <laughs> lived for this shit. He dreamed of being taken so seriously as a filmmaker and joining the Pantheon and being an independent filmmaker and stuff like that. So I, I try to keep doing it because I know that kid would want that. Yeah. But this kid, like the guy who's you know 28 years removed from that kid, who's lived a longer lifetime than that kid did before he made clerks. Like now I have more time under my belt as a filmmaker or a pop culture figure than I did as a normal human being. Yeah. Cause at age 23, it all changed, right? That's when clerks happened. Yeah. So I had 23 normal years. And then for the last 26 of those years, I've been living this crazy, like you get to make movies life, even though you're not that talented, you get to make <laughs> movies with very famous people and stuff. So I keep that up for the kid, for the 21-year-old Kevin Smith who got us here. Because yeah. if he hadn't built the rocket ship, we'd still be on Krypton. You yeah. know what I'm saying? He it's, built it and he sent us off into space himself. And it's fascinating that you're, you, you've you had su- su- such a sustained career that when you start making films, you're commenting on the world. You're yeah. commenting on, on what you didn't like about previous films. One of the things I loved in James... A Silent Bob reboot was there's points where you're commenting on your own films. Oh God! And, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and then, I, honestly, the whole movie, all we do is comment yeah, on it. And, but again, it's a beautiful thing because I remember the first film of yours I saw was More Rats, and it's net, still the most watched film I've ever watched in my life. That means the world. But Thank then you. to go back, so did you like the Mall Rats sequel in this movie? I loved it as soon as the music started. I was just, I go. We're doing a tour in America, right? So we stopped for Thanksgiving. So there have been 27 separate stops, 46 shows that I've been to, right? So you're talking about a thousand to fifteen hundred people per screening. Yeah. When that fucking beer and beer and beer and audience erupts they yeah. know what's coming and then by the time he jumps on screen he steps out and he's like snoogans everyone goes nuts yeah. it's it's such a interactive affair because of people like you who yeah. are like i watched that movie for one year stone straight yeah. like it was my favorite exactly movie of all that. time stealing my mate's mum's weed or when i was meant to be in college right and, right. and watching that and dazed and confused on loop essentially see that but i benefit greatly from that i have a different like my whole career i've been trying to have the same career as everyone else yeah but i never have and i never will because of shit like that where people are like they don't just watch my movies their movies are tied in genetically with times in their lives where it's like i meet people who are like this is my son dante i named him after your movie this is my wife. Our first date was chasing amy yeah um my dad and me watched dogma the day before he died like they're always tied in with something much deeper. If these movies were judged on the surface for exactly what they are, I don't think they'd amount to much. The audience has made them what they are by yeah. making them more legendary because they're always affixing these movies 
to key moments in their life. It's not the whole audience, but it's the audience that I grew up with around the same age as me and stuff like that. So when we jump into this movie and start going, here's Brody, here's yeah. Holden, here's Alyssa, like here's Loki from Dogma. You're, you're tapping into all the pleasure centers yeah. of somebody who had experience with those movies and not just the pleasure they might've enjoyed, you know, watching the movie, the pleasure they got from watching the movie. But the pleasurable experiences of like, man, when I saw Chasing Amy, I was dating that guy and he was like amazing and stuff like that. And then the relationship fell apart, but I became a better person because of it. And that's how I met my husband. Like it's always tied into something more. Yeah. And for years I was always like, I just want to be like everybody else. I just want to be judged by my films. And and it's not that simple and it never will be. And I shouldn't want what others have. Yeah. I should want what I have because it's fucking unique. I meet people. Like as we tour the movie, we're doing meet and greets. So we take pictures with some cats and sit down and talk to them and stuff like that. And there's this one cat I talk to. I keep telling the story everywhere because I fucking blew my mind. There's a guy named Tim. And uh, Tim was like, uh, I want to tell you how your movies saved my life. And I was like, all right. And I hear that a lot. And it's yeah, usually yeah. hyperbolic and stuff. You know, it's never truly saving somebody's life. It's usually like, you got me. I was sad for a month, but I watched Clerks and that was my go-to and something like that. So Tim starts telling me a story about like, I was, uh, I'm an orphan. Like, uh, I was in the system for most of my life. I had no parents, uh, at age 12, uh, they set me up on an appointment with a guy who potentially could be like a dad and we didn't really get along at all. He's gone. But at the end of the day, he was like, do you want to watch a movie? And we put in clerks. He's gone. And me and this guy really bonded over this movie. Like he was explaining things to me. I thought it was really funny. And and then they asked me at the agency, do you want to meet with this man again? And, and I said, yeah, I will. And so we went back the next week and we watched Jane Silent Bob strike back. He's going, and by the end of that screening, like I knew that I could trust this man. I like this man very much. So the agency asked me how I felt oh. about him. I said, I like him. I'm going to keep going and hanging out with him. I would like him to be my foster dad. He's like, that dude adopted me and I got a, a father. I got a family. And that's this is like going back many years. He's going, but I always wanted to thank you. And I was like, Man, that means the world because that's warm. But he goes, no, you don't understand. He's going, this is the important part of the story. I was going to kill myself at age 18. He's going, because when you're part of the system, the state has to take care of you. You've got to realize, I didn't have anybody in my life. Nobody gave a fuck about me. Yeah. He's going, but the state mandated, it was mandated to give a fuck about me until I was 18. Then when I was 18, you get chucked out. You get put on an ice flow. You're an adult and the state doesn't have to care for you. And I knew that meant nobody in this world was going to care for me. So I always knew that at age 18, I was going to kill myself. He's going, but then I met my dad and I only met my dad because of your movies. And that saved my life. I was fucking bawling, dude. It's amazing. Bawling. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. like one, one example. That's not even like, I've never heard that before. I hear stories like that all the time. And so you realize people are wrapped in the movies in a different way. They're not appreciating going like, you're a fine filmmaker. The, you know, maybe they get some laughs out of them, but it goes deeper with them. It gets yeah. under their skin like a chigger or something like that. And that's why, like, we don't get many hop-ons now. Like, most of the audience yeah. I have, yeah. I've grown up with and stuff. But what I've seen on the tour is I look out in the audience during a and a and mostly everybody looks like me or my age within five years. But then you see about 25, 30% of the audience sit next to a 16-year-old, boy or girl. Yeah. And so when you get into the Q&A and one of them asks a question, like little girl asked me the question and stuff, I was like, how old are you? She's like 16. I was like, you were cum when we made that movie, yeah. when we made Clerks. <laughs> what, are you kidding me? I said, why are you into this? I said, watching Reboot, was it confusing and baffling to watch a bunch of old people that you don't know doing stuff? She's like, no, my father 
and me watch these movies all the time. Like yeah. my father gave me these movies and I'm like, your father's irresponsible. She's like, my father's right here. And you get to meet the parent as well. <laughs> and then you realize that like, they're not that different from you. Like my old man would give me George Carlin albums and be like, do not tell your mother you have yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get passed on like a legacy now to, from parents to kids, to parents who are like, you know, Mallrats was my jam. I want you to watch this. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful gift. And it means that I don't even have to, sell too hard to the next generation which i don't because i'm like if they weren't there when i started this journey why would they care but yeah. i forgot that just like my dad passed on some shit to me their parents are passing on these movies to them so you see kids who are like i know all these movies i've been watching them for years since i was eight my parents are irresponsible yeah and you realize even more so that you're not a normal filmmaker yeah. you know and, and i always wanted to be normal so badly but it's not that you're, you know, it's different and it's in some weird ways. And I don't want to take away from other filmmakers at all, but it's better. It's more <laughs> enriching. It's like somebody going like, yeah, your work's fine, but you, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I always want to be the other guy like Fincher. You never see Fincher sitting around. I don't even think Fincher's ever done a fucking podcast. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard David Fincher's voice because David Fincher lets the work speak for itself. Yeah. He makes a movie, puts it out there. And he don't have to come out afterwards and be like, let me tell you, I had a fight with Bruce Willis and let me tell you all these stories and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. I'm the other guy where I do come out and because I always felt insecure, I would come out and like overdo the show because I'm like, what if they don't like the movie? Because I remember very specifically, there was an incident in Houston in 1994. We were at the Houston World Fest and we showed clerks and clerks had been like traveling the festival circuit for about five months at that point and stuff. So, you know, it was buzzy and people seemed to like it. Um, we were getting up doing Q and A's afterwards, me and Scott Mosier, my producer and stuff. And that's where I learned how much I love to speak and, and talk about myself and shit. So <laughs> while we were doing that, we killed the audience. Then afterwards we were done. We went outside, grab a cigarette, right? We're standing outside, people coming out and they don't see us because we're on this side of the wall and the door's over here. Two dudes exit the screening and say this thing that transforms the rest of my life. One guy goes, what'd you think of the movie? And the other guy goes, I thought it sucked, but that fat guy was funny. <laughs> and so right then and there, I was like, I lost him with the movie, but I got him back with the Q and a, yeah. so like I can always do that. If I don't get him with the movie, maybe I could come up afterwards and charm them with like the story of making the movie and maybe at least get a piece of them. At least they got a little bit of their money's worth or something like that. So I became that guy early on and, and it's tough to shake. Like yeah. I give a fuck about what the audience says so much so that like, releasing this movie in the States, it's not in mass release where it's in a theater. You can see it without me. The only way you see it is if you go see it on tour with me. And then I'm mm -hmm. there in the room with you soaking up all that energy and love and stuff. Every screening we've had of the 27 nights and the 46 shows has been like going to church where you are both the priest and Jesus at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And everyone in the congregation wants to be there. They're not like my mom dragged me here. They are believers, man, yeah. believers. So it's rarefied air that I breathe. And for my whole fucking 25-year career, like just to show you human nature, all I've ever done is look over the fence to be like, why can't I be like that person? Yeah. But it's taken me a while and I'll probably only kick in and I'll probably only cognize and understand it when I drop dead or something like that. But like, there's nothing wrong with being this filmmaker. In yeah. fact, there's everything right with it because it's, much more emotional than the average bear. You know, yeah. it's much more connected to the audience than most filmmakers are. And I'm not saying they're wrong and I'm right, but it just, 
the reason my career has gone on for 25 years and I've never had a major fucking hit. Like highest grossing movie I've ever made is $30 million at the box office. Yeah. So it's not like, well, he's still working because he always churns out the money and shit. It's the audience investing so deeply in a person going like, yeah, your movies, whatever, but you did this thing and they recognize themselves in you. I was a fan too. I like movies just like you, but you took a shot and now you're doing it, man. Like, and they play you like you're their avatar, like where they're like, all right, man, you got to keep doing you. you because this is the journey you're on. They become so emotionally invested in yeah. your journey that it becomes like a movie in and of itself. They're not rooting for your characters anymore, bro. They're literally rooting for you. Yeah. And still to this day, I'm like, yeah, but Chris Nolan, you know, because I'm always <laughs> yeah. ready to throw out someone better at the job than me. And I always have to check myself and remember those cats were meant to do this shit. Yeah. That's why they're in this world. I got there out of luck and timing. And I should never assume that, like, I have a place at the table. You know, I don't. And I have to make that place all the time. Like, it ain't a day gone by since 1994 that I hadn't said the word clerks out loud. Yeah. And usually in a way to sell it to somebody else. Hey, I made clerks, remember? And stuff like that. So I've kind of generated my own career in as much as, you know, most people make a movie, that movie's done and they don't talk about it anymore. They talk about the next movie, but I've been talking about my old movies since they came out to me. They're as like relevant and in the now as like Joker, because in the world I live in, people still talk about chasing Amy. Like it happened two minutes ago. Well, that's it. I think, I think the reason clerks is so key to this story isn't necessarily because it's the best. As you said, everyone will have their own favorites, but clerks is the one that gave us all the story of you making it on, Favors and credit cards. Yes. So it wasn't the, the industry. Story. It didn't come from the industry. It came from us. It came from the fa- a fan of films who just w- wanted to do it. And if you're and a I fan think that's of film, what pushes it on. And if you're a fan of film and you saw that from the yeah. outside, like, look, if I wasn't Kevin Smith and I saw the Kevin Smith story and Clerks, I'd be like, that. That's my lodestar. This yeah. is who I want to be. Like this guy figured it out. What a path and stuff like that. That came. That came later on. Like when I made Clerks, it wasn't like. I'm going to make this to show that like, you know, it, it, you you don't have to work in a studio and indie film could be and art is and all these yeah. things. I just made it because I was like, Richard Linklater made a movie called Slacker and I loved yeah. it. And I want to see if I can make a movie of my own and stuff like that. The beauty, the beautiful use of a one shot artistically and to save budget because you can't, you don't I'm have not, to edit it. You it just, I'll give you, I'll one do you one better. It's not artistic and it wasn't to save budget. It's because I have zero talent. <laughs> it's because I was like, well, I guess we could just put the camera here. And are they both on camera? All right, let's shoot this. Yeah. It's that um, simple. Yeah. I mean, I like to point to Jim Jarmusch, who I'm sure like you must hate it. But like when I saw Stranger Than Paradise yeah. and um, uh, what was the other one? Um, Dead Man? No, that was later. Uh, Permanent Vacation. Permanent Vacation, yeah, yeah. Those are two movies that like are shot almost entirely maison-scene. Mm-hmm. So camera turns on. And he lets all the things happen in front of the camera. He did that because that was his artistic choice. Because Jim Jarmusch is a born filmmaker. So he would know what to do with the camera. But he chose to do that with the camera because he thought that'd be interesting. I chose it because I'm like, I don't know anything else. Jim Jarmusch did this. Let's do this. So like I did a one shot, not because it's artsy, but because like Jim Jarmusch did it. And if we can do it without anybody messing up, it'll look impressive. Like that... One of my proudest moments in my career happened on the set of Clerks. Lisa Spoonauer and Brian O'Halloran as Caitlin and, and Dante have a seven-minute scene, uncut, 
where they're just talking to each other in the video store and we never had to cut and I didn't have to marry something else or something like that. That made me feel accomplished where I was like, it's not so much me, but I was like, these kids are so good at their job. They can talk without breaking yeah. for seven minutes straight. Like shit like that mattered to me and still kind of does yeah. in this world. Like, and I've watched people I've come up with or came up before me go on to grander things, win Oscars and shit, yeah. make money, movies that make a lot of money and stuff. And I'm always like, good for them. But I never go like, I want to be on that journey. Because at the end of the day, making a comic book movie is time consuming and it takes a vision that I don't have. I love watching those movies. My yeah. vision for comic book movies is like, I want to pay to see it. That's my vision. Yeah. But like, be able to pull it off, you need a vision for that. I don't. So like, I don't try to do the movies that I enjoy the most. I don't try to replicate those. Um, I make Kevin Smith movies because let's be honest, they got thousands of people that want to make Marvel movies. They got yeah. thousands of people want to win Oscars and make classy movies. There is nobody in this world who wants to make a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> so like no lines, no waiting. I get to jump in and do it every fucking time and stuff. And some people are like, well, shouldn't you shoot for more? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I didn't expect any of this. Like I'm yeah. living on like on gas from the first movie. All I want to do is the first movie. So the last 25 years since then have been like, well, let's kill time doing this because yeah. that was my big dream and stuff. I and love, I love that. Cause again, it's that people not realize cause they've only met you as Kevin Smith. It's those not realizing that you're going, look, you've no idea how mad it is that I'm even here. It's, like, it's, like it's, it's honestly, you wouldn't. And I've had that with music and podcasting and film now, but I also love how you, an audience will, backwards engineer art into your work anyway and yes. I, I went on on joe rogan's podcast five six years ago and he encouraged me to start my own so i started my own and i don't edit i don't do it and it's it's just because it's what joe did but right. over here at that point no one was really doing these long unedited conversations right, they were right, doing right. cut up nice little radio, radio documentaries radio so influenced. i'd be getting all this this credit for the artistic choice i was like well partly that's all i knew and partly i'm doing it once a week i've not got time to be Going through and, and listening also, and there's editing. A, there's and an element of like, up. if it becomes work, you won't like it anymore. Yeah. And editing yeah. is work. The talking part, that's easy. You'll do that for free all day long and stuff. But the moment it's like, well, you got to edit it, you got to do that, then one could lose interest because it's like, oh, that feels like work. So you do it in a way that makes you feel comfortable. So it's yeah. like, you need an editor, let somebody else edit it and stuff because your key is this part, is the chatty part. And going long is always way more interesting than the cut-up shit. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I remember watching um, Kevin Pollock's got a, a Kevin Pollock chat show, yeah. a video podcast. And uh, he had Dana Carvey on from Saturday Night Live, the guy from Wayne's World. Yeah. And Dana Carvey had had a heart attack and he had like a problem at one point where they operated on the wrong artery and stuff. It was wow. very, a very long tale. But he was, he come from uh, like the 80s and the 90s and stuff like that. So he's used to being on TV with, you know, quick soundbite interviews. Yeah. So he's sitting there doing the interview with Kevin Pollack and he's telling a story of his heart attack and no lie, three times he stops to go, I'm, I'm going on way too long. Is anyone interested in this? Yeah. And Kevin's like, yeah, they Keep really going. are. Yeah. yeah. People love the long form conversation. So it's, that's why I fell in love with podcasting in such a big, bad way. And I've been yeah. doing it for what, 12 years now. We started in 19, in 2007 was the yeah. first episode of Smodcast. So 12 years. If podcasting had existed when Slacker came out, I would have recorded a podcast about Slacker. I don't think I would have tried to make Clerks. Yeah. Because I'm a fan at heart, um, not a maker, not a filmmaker, more of a fan. And so I, I think maybe it's good or bad that podcasting wasn't around at that time. 
Cause then I wouldn't have made clerks. If I didn't make clerks, maybe none of this happens. Probably definitely none of this happens, but I appreciate podcasting so much more because it doesn't cost anything but time. You don't have to like call up Ben Affleck and be like, can you come shoot a movie for a month? <laughs> you don't have to ask somebody for $10 million. Yeah. You just sit down and fucking go. So this medium I fell in love with and gave up film for a while just to like podcast and shit. And then oddly enough, podcasting brought me back to film with Tusk because we did a yeah. show that became like, I was like, I'd like to see that movie. And boom, that happened. This movie, Jane Silent Bob Reboot, I can draw a direct line to the Jane Silent Bob Get Old podcast. Right. Like Jay and I were done with these movies and stuff. And and the audience, not the audience, it was the internet. Folks on the internet had beat me out of the movies. They'd be like, ew, he's making another movie with Jay and Silent Bob. He just yeah. makes those Jay and Silent Bob movies. And I got like, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to do that anymore. And I, th- I put I th- them aside. I think as well it's worth noting because I'm, I'm similar in that way. If you do films in your manner, mm-hmm. which is putting so much into it and not just going, here's the film over to the studio to deal with, right. then those things hurt all the more if you struggle to get it in a screen it hurts all the more if you struggle to get people turn out it hurts all the more and it can be looked upon as being oversensitive but people don't realize you've put so much of your energy and emotion and life into it that when someone is like another kevin smith movie you're gonna be like well fuck let's not do another kevin smith movie that's what i got scared they scared me off of my own favorite thing in the world which was to make view skew movies and then i made jersey girl and made a bunch of other stuff and stuff like that but now, post heart attack, like I don't care. I like I don't mean this in a negative way. With all due respect, I don't give a fuck about what anybody thinks about me anymore. Yeah, and that is true growth because my entire career, I read every review, I sweated every comment and shit like that. And now I'm just like, you know, people can say shit, and I'm like, yeah, but I almost died, so fuck you. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Suddenly you've yeah. got different perspective where it's like. You know, somebody's consuming your art and they see it as disposable and like, you know, eh, I don't like it, whatever. That's fine. And, and they're entitled to that fucking opinion and shit like that. It makes absolute sense. I used to take that personally. Now I'm just like, eh, maybe next time. And then yeah. we move the fuck on and you- stuff, which means by the same token that anybody that's going to now try to tell me what I'm doing wrong in my career can fucking go eat shit. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to hear that from anybody again in this lifetime, yeah. unless it's from like Quentin or Martin Scorsese, or JJ, or Edgar yeah. Wright, or somebody who does the fucking job. Yeah. But never mind me listening to strangers who've never self-expressed in their entire life telling me I suck at my job. It's, it's like, well, maybe. But It's one of the reasons podcasts are so good to do, because if there is criticism, you can literally turn around and say, do one yourself then. Yeah. It's not as easy with a film, because again, it's, it's, it's one thing. Podcasting to say, yourself, is, it's, it's even better, though. Because you can literally say, well, go on, do it your way. Or you, you can do that with films, too, and people are like, oh, I don't have that kind of money. But with podcasting, you do a show. Let's say they all hate that episode yeah. next week or fucking two days later. It's a never ended story. You could right? put up another one yeah. and they'll forget about that shit. Yeah. And then it just becomes an anecdote in your story about remember that one episode everyone hated? Yeah. And that's it. It's completely like it depowered. Yeah. Movies are these big, lumbering, you know, kind of giant, expensive affairs. I can say you have to make them that. You have to make them an event and a big deal. So then if there is that emotion, it's like, all right, well. I best get started on the next one. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's always so frustrating when you're a filmmaker, you know, you show people a movie and the first question after the movie is done is like, what are you doing next? And you're like, next, like this took fucking five years to put together and shit like that. That's why I love podcasting because you know, people are like, what are you doing next? I'm like, Oh, I'm doing another episode. We're doing it tomorrow. I'm going to have this guy over. I'm going to talk to this cat or whatnot. And also, like I said before, film requires asking a lot of other people podcasting. There's you. 
and yeah. me and really not even me could just be you. Some yeah. of my favorite podcasts were me by myself rambling for an yeah. hour yeah. or reading a comic book to the audience, yeah. shit like that, experimental and fun and whatnot. And I've loved podcasting for that reason because it's given me a place to go where I can express myself for free, yeah. where I don't presume upon the relationship with the audience, be like, give me your money and stuff. So I'll tell you a story if you give me my, you give me your money. Now I'm just like, go listen to any one of the podcasts. There's God, at least 10,000 hours at this point yeah. of free material and stuff. And that's nice to have out there because in movies, you do presume upon that relationship with the audience where you're yeah. like, I would like to tell you this story, but first you'll have to give me $10. Yeah. I like podcasting more because I'm like, oh, I want to tell you the story and here it is. And you just fucking spit it and out. And you're not be- beholden to anyone. No one can complain because as, as you said, you've done it all for free. But yeah. I mean, kind of speaking of being beholden to people, you joke in the film about the – Guilt cast casting acceptance of, cast. of, of of having a heart to almost dying. Yes, and then I mean the cast you've got in this, it's mind blowing. From Ben Affleck and Matt Daniel to Rosario Dawson, just so many right. absolutely amazing people. How much of that was kind of true that that that, that there was kind of a look? We it, a few years back we may have. There, it almost happened that we would never have got a chance to make this film. Yeah, so let's make this film now because yes. it was almost taken away from us it yeah there's you almost lost silent bob so yeah. heavens um i i joke around a lot where i go like um the cast uh, the heart heart attack deserves casting credit for the movie <laughs> because i call up people and be like hey do you want to come down to new orleans and be in jay and silent bob reboot and they'd be like new orleans that's really far away and then i'd be like you do remember oh, i remember i almost fucking died last year right and they'd be like all right i'm coming so that's the joke version i tell <laughs> that being said i never had to lean on anybody that hard but i do think a lot of people were like Oh fuck, he lived. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna go play with him because he lived. Yeah. Some came just to see if I did live. They're like, you are alive and <laughs> yeah. shit like that. But you know I've seen pictures, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, like and look at you. Where did <laughs> you see you moving? Go, oh, yeah, go ahead. Just do, do a jumping jack. Um it, it was affection, like, you know, a lifetime of affection with some of the cats who I've worked with going back to my childhood. Like yeah. Ben, we came up together. You know oh, what I'm saying? Oh, oh, Ben and Matt scenes are some of the best because I mean you. I, I don't want to give too much away, but you, you, as you have in the past, I guess you reference their work outside of yeah. of your universe. You bring some of their work into your universe, yeah. which is just again, it's amazing to get to play with those things and it's, go. Let's it's fuck fun about. to tell a joke on a couple of different levels, yeah. like one where the character is telling a joke, and one where you're like, well, we all know that this guy is really this guy in real life, and he yeah, did that yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. and he's referencing that. So like when Ben looks at the audience after the Martha joke, yeah. you know, yeah. it destroys dude. Like I've yeah. been in, I've seen the movie it, it, all throughout the tour, 27 nights, 46 screenings. And that moment happens and everyone like, Wah! it's an yeah. applause moment. Shit. Yeah. Really fucking sweet. So, you know, it, maybe it's a bit low hanging fruit and as much as like anybody mm. could pull it off, but I don't know why more people don't, but the movie yeah. allows itself to tell those kinds of jokes. Cause we're set in movie world. So you get Ben Affleck and you get Holden McNeil. Yeah, yeah. So, so did you enjoy in this getting to play Silent Bob, but also getting to play Kevin Smith? Yes. So, getting to actually be talk more in 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 your view and be oh, another God, character. Yes. How was I, that? I, you know, the the weird thing or Kevin about, James, Kevin Smith, Kevin James, to, Kevin you know. Smith. The weird thing about <laughs> playing Silent Bob is like, obviously, I'm the least silent person I know. Like, I'm talking Bob. I should have played. <laughs> So when I turn it off for the movies, like, you know, I, it took me a few years, but I was like, that is truly a performance, man. Like at first I'd be like, you're just not saying anything. But now I'm like, think about it. 
Your natural state is to do nothing but talk. And the character you play says nothing. Or genuinely, again, not to, to, to backwards engineer art into it, but it feels like there's a progression. Because in the early films, it's kind of a, a Buster Keaton type yes. stoic silence. And by the end, it's more Marx Brothers and, and the Free Stooges oh my kind of God, visuals you're so coming through. absolutely right. If you look at my performances uh, in, in Clerks, there is no performance. Yeah. Like my idea of Silent Bob is he just doesn't talk. Yeah. That's it. Forgetting that like, you know, people are watching this, move your face. Like, yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. really move my face. I never arch an eyebrow. I never do anything. Yeah. Mall rats, I become a little more aware of that. And so I'm like, well, Harpo Marx never said anything, yeah. but he was expressive. So maybe you should like dial it up and stuff. So we dial it up in Mallrats. Then in Chasing Amy, I dial it back because Mallrats didn't work and critics didn't like it. And so Jay and Bob make jokes about how those characters are not them at all and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's me trying to buy back integrity or something. In Dogma, we got an all-star cast. I'm sandwiched between Chris Rock and Alan Rickman. And it's like, you better move your face. You better give a performance. Like you can't just stand <laughs> There's got to be a reason for you to be here. Yes. And, and also it's like, don't just, it's a movie. Move, motherfucker. So, like, by the time I get to Strike Back and Clerks 2, I really start to wear the character well, and I'm very expressive, and he's completely different than the first time we saw him in Clerks. Yeah. Now, with Reboot, I have the benefit of having been able to watch all of those movies for many years and watch the progression of performance, and also knowing that, like, you're the main, co-main character. There's Jay. And Silent Bob. So you're titular at this point. Yeah. You got to give them a movie. You got to like be super expressive. So looking at Clerk Silent Bob and Jay and Silent Bob reboot Silent Bob, it's almost like two completely different people playing the part. And in reality, they are. Yeah. I was the 21-year-old or rather 23 at that point, year old Kevin Smith doing it, who was too worried about like, well, I, I'll be in this, but I want to look cool at the same time. I don't want to look like an idiot. And so he's not really performing. To the guy today who's just like, wow, and his face is like moving yeah. like a fucking jellyfish. Did that mean you studied more kind of silent stars? Because it felt like the, there was a tease, like my favorite Marx Brothers scene is, is the mirror scene. And it felt like there was a tease of this in yes. between Kevin Smith and Silent Bob. Yes. Was that kind of something that you've looked at and gone, well, yeah, here we are. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, Harpo Marx has always been kind of a touchstone, uh, right back to Mallrats, like Silent Bob pulling things out of his jacket yeah, yeah, is very Harpo yeah, Marx yeah, and stuff. So when we were that scene where Kevin Smith met silent Bob, like uh, kind of grew over time. Uh, Kevin Smith wasn't a big character in the movie. Originally Stan Lee was. So yeah. Stan Lee was meant to be the guy on stage that the Russians were trying to get and stuff. Right. Like that. I see. I see. Not yeah, Kevin yeah, Smith. Yeah. And then when Stan passed away, I was like, Oh shit. So I had to change things around a little bit. So we grew to that, silent bob meets kevin smith moment it wasn't even in the first draft yeah. second draft and stuff so by the time we got there there was a conscious like like uh ron who was our dp was like we could totally do the marx brothers here i was like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you took the words right out of my yeah. mouth let's do the mirror gag yeah it's got to be done so so i mean you touched on on that's stan lee there and obviously it's, it was beautiful to see him in in the credits mm. uh, a sequence um You've also said how you love superhero movies, but have no particular desire to make them because yeah. it seems, it seems far long. too much work. So how beautiful was it in Captain Marvel when you got to become part of the Marvel Universe without having to become part of the Marvel Universe? Or do anything. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, like, that's that's my kind of thing, man. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> if they asked me, if Kevin Feige was like, would you like to make one of these? I would be like, honestly, Kevin, I'm not the guy. Like, yeah. I love your movies and I love watching them and shit, but like, I ain't got no vision. You should give it to somebody better. But if they were like, do you want to be in one of these movies? I would kill you to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is far better for my brand than making one of those movies. Yeah. If you make one of those movies, you could potentially break one of those movies and then people are mad at you. 100%. But if you're just in those movies, people are like, hey man, you were in, you were like, I got referenced in Captain Marvel and people are like, did you see they said that your name was in the movie and stuff? The reaction I got based on just the word Mallrats on the script and by Kevin Smith, I can't imagine what it would be like as if like, you played the scroll or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so I, if I dream about Marvel movies, it's about being in one. Uh, never about making them like, yeah. you know, I, it's weird. Cause I, like I watched action movies growing up with my dad and they never made me want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, all the times my dad took me to the movies, I was never like, I want to do this. Uh, slacker. When I went to see that on my 21st birthday, that made me want to be a filmmaker. That was the tone and the type of film that I could get my head around. Like I still go to Marvel movies. And even though I'm a filmmaker, even though I know how the sausage is made, I still like this confounding to me. This well, is miraculous that well, somebody could do this. Slacker and indeed Clerks was like the first time you see a punk band or a, <gasps> a rap group. Oh my you God. go, this you is are achievable. Going to, you are going we to, could do this. That is, that means that's the highest compliment. Yeah. As you know, you could give an artist like myself. It is like, I never realized that until uh, Jason Reitman, the filmmaker, yeah, he was yeah. over the house doing a podcast and we were talking about the movie about Clerks. And I was like, man, but now what I know now I could do a way better version of Clerks. And he goes, no, never. He's going, that movie is not to be touched. He's going, you could never do a better version of that movie. Don't you understand? That movie is a punk rock song. Yeah. He's going, it's a Sex Pistols song. It's a Ramones song. It's four chords. It's Anybody track. could yeah. pull that off, man. And when you see somebody do it, it's empowering. It makes you want to pick up a guitar and go, and that's punk. He's like, never surrender that. And I was like, my God, you're absolutely right. There's better currency in it being imperfect yeah, um, and in it being rough than than I would ever gain from polishing it up and make it look like a real movie. Yeah. Because the fact that it doesn't look like a real movie, that it barely looks like a movie is hope for an audience. Somebody sitting in the audience like me who watched Slacker and be like, I think I wouldn't make one of these could see clerks. And if they go like, if this counts as a movie, I can make a movie too. It's a very empowering film for that reason. Very Absolutely. punk rock. And even though I'm 25 years on from it, yeah, I still, it's still, that currency still spends. Yeah. Kids are still finding clerks for the first time. I don't know how or why <laughs> yeah, it's in black yeah. and white. Maybe they're looking for Schindler's list, but like <laughs> they come across this and there is still like not everybody, but a small cross section of the population. That's like, yeah, man, that makes me want to do something. I meet a lot of YouTube kids now. Yeah. Um, folks that, you know, have millions of subscribers, their own industries and stuff like that, including people that created YouTube channels that have millions of subscribers. And most of them are like, I did this because you made clerks. Mm. And I realized, oh shit, like I would have been a YouTube kid if I just waited like five more minutes or something like that. Clerks probably would have been something I did on YouTube if I did it at all. Yeah. I honestly think I just would have reviewed movies or something like that. So the fact that like years later, somebody could pick it up and find something useful and it makes them go like, I want to do this. I want to yeah. sing my song. It's how the wheel goes forward. Like Richard Linklater wasn't thinking about me when he made Slacker, but I guarantee you I'm the biggest Slacker fan on the planet because it gave me the rest of my life because I saw him do something and I said, well, if he can do that in Austin, Texas, that's not Hollywood and that's not New York. Maybe I could do what I want to do in New Jersey. Maybe I can make a movie too. So I love 
the punk rock analogy. It yeah. makes me feel young. makes me feel like even <laughs> relevant even 25 years after the fact and stuff yeah. like that. It makes me feel like Lou Reed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Where it's just like, yeah. I've been around, motherfucker. I got years on me. And you know, walk on the wild side. That's Clerks is my walk on the wild side. Yeah. You know? But everything else that it. came after it is afforded by that first song. That's perfect. Well, to, to wrap things up, um, I used to do a film night. A, a, a cinema and the reason for this the film that was to put on films i'd w- watched on dvd but had never seen on the big screen oh, i fall in love with like on a, dvd but a never big screen version and, and one of the ones i put on was more rats and it was amazing but the place i did that was the prince charles cinema and that's somewhere that you've had a I long relationship place. with so they put how, me in the bathroom there's a kevin smith yeah, memorial yeah, stall yeah, yeah. in the bathroom so how important is this, this cinema experience to you because again i'm similar to you i love superhero movies mm-hmm. and I love Netflix but they are the two things that are potentially going to end up killing off the chance to see so many films in the cinema if you can't personally tour it doing you know so true door to door. we use what we got right and yeah. it depends what you're into so a lot of filmmakers of course are into success and every studio is into the same thing monetary success and in order to do that you know there's a tried and true manner to release a movie you spend a lot of money on marketing to let the whole world know it's coming You release it on that day and hopefully the whole world goes and there's a box office horse race to see who made what and stuff like that. Established pattern of, of, of doing things that absolutely makes sense. Um, if I were to work in that established pattern, Jay and Silent Bob reboot wouldn't exist. There's no call for it. There's not nearly enough audience to dictate, you know, making that movie for the mainstream masses. So we made it for like 8 million shocked that I could pull that much money together for the first one was 20 Budget was 10, but like, because we shot New Orleans, you get two back. So it was only 8 million bucks. In order to market that movie to the world, in order to release it the way people are used to movies being released, I'd have to spend another minimum 10 to $20 million marketing movie to put it onto 1,000, 2,000 screens to release it worldwide. Yeah. Now, if you add the numbers up, 8 million to make the movie, let's say 20 to release the movie and shit, that's 28 million bucks right there. Now I got to make $28 million back. And in order to do that, you have to make double at the box office. Yeah. So to make 28, I got to make $56 million at the box office. And that has never happened yeah. for a Kevin Smith. I was going to say, having known that you 30 no. million was your biggest. Yeah. It's like, what I, it would dictate right then <laughs> and there that like this idea is a pipe dream and you let it die. But because the audience that we got, because the audience shows up for podcasts, live podcasts, like me and Jay have been touring Jay and Silent Bob get old for the better part of 10 years, people paying us 50 to 100 bucks to sit there and watch us talk about old movies. A friend of mine pr- proposed at one of your Q&As. Oh, my God, really? Paul, yeah, he proposed to his wife, is now wife Eden, at one of your Q&As a I long time back shit. in the UK. Oh, so, my yeah. God. There's been about, I would say, over the course of all the podcasts, that's happened like 20 to 30 times, yeah. and it's so beautiful. I love it. Um, so in... In realizing that there's this ardent audience that's going to come out, I took a page out of Eddie Izzard's book. Mm. Um, I love Eddie Izzard. Funny as fuck. Brilliant comedian. But when I saw Circle and when I saw like all the stand-up specials he did back in the day, I said to myself, this is just stand-up. But he's doing it in a big theater and he's wearing fun outfits. And so he eventized it. But yeah. really, this is just brick wall shit. Sitting yeah, in front yeah, of a brick yeah, wall yeah. and talking about, you know, French over American or something like that. Yeah. But he turned it into something special. Number one, it's funny, so it's special to begin with. But number two, he put it into this grand place where a bunch of like-minded individuals are going to feed off that energy and, sh- and stuff. So I was like, maybe we do the same thing. We'd started with Red State, first movie we took out Torn. I was like, 
I'll take the movie out there. I come out. I love doing Q&A after the movies anyway. So maybe we'll make that part of the show as opposed yeah. to like, you're just coming to see a movie. Like you're coming to an event, man. And it's going to be a night. So that shaped the reboot roadshow tour. And I was able to make that movie because I knew I could count on touring that movie and that audience coming back. Cause that money that we make off the tour that pays back our equity investors. Yeah. If you could pay those cats back. You might get to make another movie one day, particularly yeah. if you're going to go try to get some money to make a movie and stuff. Uh, Universal has the movie here. They put in what they put in, but they get to keep the movie forever. That's what they get for their money yeah. and stuff. Those equity investors, those are the, that's the real money. The people that lose money if the movie doesn't make money. So for me, I'm like, I got to get them paid back. The tour that we're doing pays them back. Like one year from Perfect. the start of production, we're able to pay back our equity investors. That's unheard of in this yeah, movie business. That's amazing. So on a business level, it makes absolute sense. And brought the movie into existence because I wasn't sitting there going, and then we're going to have to put it out on a bunch of screens. I was like, no, I'm going to take this right to the people, man. I'm going to spend like three, four months doing it and stuff. I don't care. I love the movie. It's, it's professionally, financially a smart thing to do if you can do it and stuff. And every filmmaker could, Yeah. but most people are like, I'm on other things. And me, I'm like, no, I'm happy to soak this up for a year. (laughs) Um, But what it is, is personally incredibly gratifying. I sit there every night, Watch my movie with a packed house and they get every single joke and they think I'm brilliant. I like, love it. I, I tell the kids on the road, I'm like, you know, chances are I did die during that heart attack and this is heaven. Because <laughs> in heaven, every night we watch one of my movies, it's a packed house and they get every joke. Like, yeah. I can't think of a better way to live or die. That's perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Amazing, Pip. Amazing, man. Thank, thank you so you, much. been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Kevin Smith. I hope you enjoyed that. I bloody loved it. I think you'll agree it was worth me getting these 45 minutes while I could rather than passing up on such an opportunity. Um, As I said, I had a lot of questions planned, but I was already aware because of listening to the Smodcast and the Q&As and things like that over the years, a dude can talk. I was aware dude could talk. I was aware I would get... Uh, three, maybe four questions in, in in the 45 minutes, but it's a beautiful thing. It's it, it's why I left that kind of intro part in of him arriving, because it shows it's that genuine enthusiasm to chat and go on rants and go off on tangents. Um, I really enjoyed his talk of his love of podcasts, because as a lot of you will know, podcasting has been a real change for me, because there's been certain stories, I'm sure I've told it a million times on the podcast, but there's been stories I've wanted to tell. I've I've tried to tell in music for years and realised it was the wrong medium. And one of them is is the, the separation of my parents when I was a kid. And I found out I tried to write songs about that for years and couldn't couldn't make it work. And then I found out I was working in the wrong medium. And years later, I had my mum on and my dad on separately, and we discussed it for the first time openly and honestly. And it's one of my favourite podcasts in the back catalogue. Um, but anyway, I, I, I want to go through a few of the things I wanted to get into and didn't necessarily have time. Let me have a look at my notes. Oh, one of the things I thought was cool, again, I'm not giving any sp- sp- spoilers, but as well as, I mean, we touched upon, for example, Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck reflecting upon or referencing their careers over over the film. But one of the things I loved was the way in which Kevin discusses chasing Amy in this film. 
Because Chasing Amy was a film that when it came out, it, it blew my mind. It was discussing topics of, of sexuality that I hadn't heard discussed in such an open way at the time. And I think it meant a lot to a lot of people and opened a lot of people's eyes to a lot of things. But then as time progressed, society progressed and Chasing Amy went to kind of go in the opposite direction and get a bit of scorn and criticism for the way it approached these subjects. And that was kind of understandable too. You know, at the time it felt really progressive. As time progressed, it felt a little regressive, I guess. But, you know, that's with no bad intentions of the filmmaker. And I really like in in Jay and Silent Bob reboot how he gently and briefly addresses that without being defensive or offended by any points made. He kind of puts his hands up to the the changes and the potential things he would do differently now without being kind of, I don't know, I just really liked it. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers. So yeah, I didn't want to go on too much about that. And I always also really liked, I wanted to ask him about um, how he accepts criticism these days but i mean we got to a lot of that because i mean part of the reason for, for that was in jay and silent bob strike back one of the key themes is them getting angry about people slagging off their films and it was beautiful to hear kevin kind of discuss that without even being prompted how critics or internet cr- critics chased him away from making films for a long time but now he's back in a place where he doesn't kind of give a shit and i love that so that was cool. Also, I wanted to chat a bit about merchandising because I've always loved how Kevin Smith will really and he'll really merchandise his films well and, and creatively. I had, I had Boots Riley on um, last year and the way he merchandised, sorry to, to bother you, his amazing film that made my films of the year list last year was fantastic because he just made really cool shit. So it didn't feel like some cash grab. And it's kind of a weird thing because Kevin was doing that way back like with cool toys and comic book stuff. Um, and I believe in this film, I'd, 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 I'd half heard about it, but hadn't heard of it's true. But I believe they've made a Jay and Silent Bob strand of, of, of weed in, in, in the areas in which it's legal. And I love sh- shit like that. Because one of the things that... It's weird because superhero films and sci-fi films even get kind of or or superhero films potentially now get looked down upon a bit for the huge amount of effort they put into merchandising and it it being seen almost as important as plot points but man when i was growing up everyone loved that star wars did that and star wars became what it is because of the money in merchandising afterwards you know there's obviously famous stories i don't need to tell you guys about what rights were given away film wise but what rights were held merchandising wise and toys wise and why that kind of built this legacy and became this this iconic thing so yeah that was kind of i've, I've always found that really interesting as I said particularly as the jay and silent bob films were talking about superheroes and comics before the superhero and comic book film genre blew up so it's kind of beautiful to see the contrast of those things that it's a thing that they've become, you know, a big a big proponent of as well is creative and almost endless merchandising opportunities. Yeah. 
So those were, yeah, those were a few of the things I took. I really enjoyed the film. About t- 20, 30 minutes in, I was like, it's a Jay and Silent Bob film. That sounds like a really stupid thing, but it's weird when there hasn't been one for a while. Because I do think Jay and I mean, Kevin I referenced Cheech and Chong films here. And Cheech and Chong films are very much of their time. I don't know if they hold up great, personally for me, but for for me, I've found that a lot of Kevin Smith films do still. Some may disagree, but they are. They're a genre of their own. And as Kevin, it was great to hear him talk about the fact that he's making something that no one else would, I was going to say can make, but the way he put it was would make. And I kind of get that. And that's what's exciting about them. It was like a warm, nostalgic hug, but, you know, it felt like it's learned. It felt like Kevin has learned over the years and grown up. And having his daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, um, in a key role was part of that kind of showing the progression and showing the uh, developments. But as much as anything, man, it was cool to see a lot of those characters back. As we mentioned early on, the little musical motifs and nods and hits just just made me warm. It's crazy, man, because I had that with the recent Star Wars new ones, the start of the new ones, and Jurassic World. Both of them, I went in thinking, all right, we'll go and see this. We'll give it a look. And as soon as that music started... It just hit me right in the in the nostalgia, um, and I wasn't expecting that necessarily in this. I was expecting it from the characters, but as I said, that moment when that that Mulrats music hits, I was just beaming. So yeah, really enjoyable stuff. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Let me have a look who's on next week. I I I, I can tell you now because it's all ones I've recorded. In fact, I think other than the drunk cast, I've recorded the rest of the year's chat so yeah exciting times oh next week is yoni wolf of 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 why of cloud dead of loads of other stuff and it's a great chat so yeah you're going to enjoy that one i will see you next week i hope you enjoyed this chat with kevin as said go back into the back catalog if this is your first time here there's loads to choose from um and i'll see you next week ta-ta